Okay, in John 10, in verse 10, Jesus Christ is speaking here and he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. That who would have life? Children being born? No, it's not talking about that kind of life. That he came that, that men and women might have life. Look, look at the end of John, chapter 20. What kind of life is this? John 20. This will explain it if the other one doesn't. He came that we might have life, to have life. Now, if he came that we might have life, then we didn't have it before he came. Right? If he came so that we would have life, he had to die for the sins of the world so that we could have life, then we didn't have that life before he came and made it available. How do we get it? John 20. Look at these last two verses, verses 30 and 31. By the way, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It might be a little bit different than yours, but it's the same message. It says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, what's these referring to? The signs, right? See it from uh, verse 30? Again, verse 30, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, these signs have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, that's the purpose of them. You see, he turned water into wine. You see, he fed a multitude. You see, he walked on water. You see, he healed the blind, the sick, cast out spirits with his word. All these things are written so that people would believe that he is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, our only ticket out of this situation of sin. He's the only one. Then look at the last words of verse 31. And that believing you may continue life in his name? No, have it. If you have to believe on him to have life, then it's a kind of life that you are, have available to you but didn't have before you believed on him, right? If you have to believe on him to get it, then it's not yours before you believe on him. You, does anybody, anybody have an issue with that? Do you see that in there? If you have to believe on him to get this life, then you didn't have it before you believe on him. Then what is this life? You say, well, I have life, and my life's okay. I have a nice garden. I have a wife. I have children. I even have a dog that likes me sometimes. My life's okay. What do I need this for? Because this isn't talking about a life like you have available apart from Christ. This is a whole new kind of life. A whole new kind of life. Look, when you believed on Jesus Christ, something very big happened. Look at uh, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Toward the back of your Bible more. Philippians chapter 3. When we believed on Jesus Christ, we entered a new realm called the kingdom of God. When we entered this realm, we actually became citizens of it. Citizens of it. This is all describing this new life we have in Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 20. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So our citizenship is in heaven. Or that word citizenship, another translation of it is commonwealth. There's a commonwealth amongst those who have believed on Jesus Christ. A commonwealth. What do you mean it's a commonwealth? Well, Larry has eternal life because he's believed on Jesus Christ. Well, lo and behold, George has eternal life because he's believed on Jesus Christ. Oh, they share that in common. Brian's redeemed from sin because he's believed on Jesus Christ. And Bob here, he's redeemed from sin because he's believed on Jesus. Commonwealth. You understand? It's a commonwealth. This commonwealth is what Christianity is all about. It's about this new life we receive through Jesus Christ. Why am I sharing this? Because I did not understand this for the majority of my Christian life. I thought Christianity was, well, this is how to be a good Christian and this is how to, what to stay away from to be a good Christian. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to not do. Okay? You, you know, you have to do these things. Go to church. You have to read your Bible. You have to tithe. You have to be nice to the brethren. You have to say, good day, pastor so-and-so, when you greet the pastor of the... There are certain things you had to do. It was, like, acceptable. If you didn't do these things, you were an outcast in some way by not doing these certain things. Or if you did other things, you know, churches on Sunday, Saturday night, lo and behold, you know, you only had one beer, but it was a 64-ouncer. <laughs> and you come to church Sunday morning and you feel like a heel. Why? Because you did something that you weren't supposed to do. Jesus Christ didn't come to bring those corrections to our lives. He came to bring us new life. He didn't come to bring a repair program. A repair program is men's ideas. God's idea is to put you in a whole new category, saints. Look, you're right here. Next book is Colossians. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Look at this verse. What's it saying? He rescued us or delivered us from the domain, the authority of darkness. Well, if we were delivered, rescued from that domain, that authority, then we're rescued from it. But that means before we believed on Jesus Christ, we were under its power. It had authority over us. This kingdom of darkness that pervades the face of the earth. It had power and authority over us. But when we believed on Jesus Christ, we were delivered. At that moment we believed, we were delivered. And we were transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That happened the moment we believed on Jesus Christ. What Christianity is all about is coming into the awareness of this. It starts with getting the knowledge... You are a child of God. When? Right now. But, right? 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You know what it doesn't say? Beloved, when he returns, we will be sons of God. It says we are right now. Well, what does that mean to be a son? George, do you have kids? Two boys. Okay, if one of those boys was in trouble and they needed help, would you help them? Yeah, say, they got, say one of them got in a car accident and they called you, say, I'm, I'm on the side of the road and I, I can't move my legs. I need your help. Well, I'm sorry, son, but I'm sleeping right now. Does that sound like it would fit into the picture? 
Absolutely not. George, you're not love. You love your sons, but you're not love. How about a father who is love? <laughs> yeah, take it a little bit beyond whatever you can dream up of taking care of your children. That's because you love them. God is love. Goes way beyond what you can imagine being or doing for your children. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now. What is the Father going to withhold from you? <laughs> Whoa. This shakes things up a little bit, doesn't it? Imagine any situation that you could possibly be in where the Father says, nope, I'm not having a good day and I will not take care of you today. God doesn't have good days and bad days. He seeks, he seeks opportunities to take care of his children. It says in uh, uh, 2 Chronicles 16.9 that he see, searches, his eyes run all over the face of the earth, searching to show himself strong in behalf of those who love him. Searching. He's searching for opportunities. God has made us a certain way in Christ. And really, that's what Christianity is all about. And this is something I haven't understood, didn't understand for years, and that's why we're going around sharing this message of the gospel, what it really is, because a lot of times people have been around like I was, around the scriptures, or around the Bible for years, and did not understand that God took me completely out of the category that I was in through Adam, and completely made me in a new category called in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now here's a verse that doesn't let you wiggle out of that. <laughs> it leaves you no room to wiggle out. <laughs> Watch. You are the way God has made you to be in Christ because that's the way he made you to be. Watch, in verse 30, 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, by his doing, oh, 1 Corinthians 1.30, after Romans, then 1 Corinthians, then 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Yeah, back a little bit, not that far, not quite. Right after Romans, right after Romans. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Watch this verse. It says, but by his doing. Now, who's his? When you have a, a personal pronoun, you have to back up to see either what the subject of the sentence is or what's the person or noun that it's referring to, okay? So to back up, see the end of verse 29, last word is God, right? So by his, by God's doing, by God, God took action here to do what? By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Look, you entered Dennis's country kitchen. You get the effects of the air conditioning, the fans, the light. What is in this realm of Dennis's country kitchen, you get the effects of because you are in it. By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. That's why the scriptures in the New Testament call us saints. We're saints. We're holy ones right now. Not when we're doing things right. We are saints right now. The best part about that is when you're screwing things up. 
Because you're saints now and forever now. See, by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. You know what's so wonderful about this? If it was by our own doing, then by our own doing, we can get ourselves out of it. It's by His doing. The record this reminds me of so many times is when Noah was told by God to uh, build this ark and then all the animals came unto him and two by twos, they came into the ark. So then when they all get into the ark, it says that God shut him in. By God's doing, Noah was shut in. So did that door open? You know what's so great about that? Think about the challenge Noah had. Think about his neighbor, you know, Johnny. Water's up to his neck. Noah, now I understand why you built the boat. Noah, down here. Noah's like, man, the door's shut. It's shut. I have no other way. But Noah, and the water's going higher and higher. He's treading water. No, imagine how Noah felt. Do you think Noah would have wanted to open the door? Do you think you would want to open the door? Yeah, and I'd take everybody on until the thing sinks, right? You'd want to take everybody on to help them. They need help. God shut Noah in because of his plan and purpose of what followed that day and time. You were made to be in Christ Jesus by God's doing. Noah couldn't open that door because God shut the door. God made him to be in the ark. And shut him in. You are in Christ D Jesus and God shut the door. Yeah, that's exactly what it says in Ephesians 1.13 that you are sealed with that promise of Holy Spirit. You're sealed by God's doing. So whatever is in Christ is now true of you who are in Christ Jesus. So what's in this realm? Well, the rest of verse 30, we stopped, right? Verse 30 again. For by his, God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became unto us wisdom from God. And then you have, it says, and righteousness. That first word, and, would be better translated, even. Even? Even righteousness. Because it's talking about the wisdom from God. Christ, who became to us the wisdom from God, even righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Okay. By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. You're in this realm of in Christ. Okay? And God made Jesus Christ to be unto us His wisdom, God's wisdom. So even, what is this wisdom of God? Even righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Do you know you are considered righteous? You know why? Because by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us this wisdom from God, which makes us righteous. And sanctified, and number three, redeemed. Because this righteousness, sanctification, and redemption is in Christ Jesus, you were made to be that way. Why is this a big deal? You know, every single iota of the effects of Adam's sin, which are so immense, the human mind can't even begin really to catalog them. They're, they're so immense. Just to catalog the sicknesses and diseases, mankind can't keep up with it. It's so vast. Just sicknesses and diseases. How about types of anxieties? Different categories of fears. Feeling short, you know, short of uh, uh, sufficiency. You know, insufficient for any situation. Inferiority. All these categories that are coming into play because of the sin of Adam. And God 
makes you righteous. He makes it to where you're right in His sight. He also sanctified you, set apart from all that that was in Adam so that you would live unto Him. He redeems you from sin. In other words, buys you back from the sin problem to where Adam's sin and disobedient act no longer has its authority over you. And you can truly walk in Christ Jesus where the effects of sin cannot touch Christ, right? Cannot touch Him, and you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Why is this a big deal? Think of every effect of sin, or even think of a, whatever you can think of, whatever's in that category. All these fears, anxieties, frustrations, falling short, all that's because of Adam's sin. Jesus Christ redeems us, redeems us, buys us back from that power of darkness and has it translated us into the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? Just that alone, saints. Why is this a big deal? Well, you know, I've only been at this really for not too many years, <laughs> really on this gospel trail. I was around the Bible for a while, but not this gospel trail. Once I started seeing that this is all about Christ and His work for us, changed everything for me. Everything. How I treat my kids, how I think of myself, how I think of you. You know, how I deal with my wife, how I deal with my car. It changes everything. How I drive on the streets. It just... Who we are in Christ is designed to affect every area of our lives. In that, it brings the wholeness that's in Christ into manifestation through you. It's like dormant power waiting to explode through something. What's this medium for explosion? Saints. That's its way to explode and be manifested. If this rose was alive, you could take it apart all the way down to the molecular structure and try to find the life of it. Life, all of it, is invisible. You could take a person apart to try to find the life, what makes them alive. You can't ever find it because it's invisible. All of life is invisible. But the manifestations of life are very evident, aren't they? You know, if this rose was alive, you'd see it opening more and more as the day comes on and gets brighter and brighter. It's alive. You can see manifestations of its life. How about the life that's in Christ? All that dormant life that's designed to come into full bloom like that rose. Is it sitting dormant because I don't understand what it is, number one? Or is it sitting dormant because I'm following different trails in my thinking, number two? I don't realize what I am in Christ, uh, what is in Christ, what is true in that realm. So it's just sitting there as like dormant power. All the potential of a seed, yet no manifestation. God designed His Word to come into full bloom in our lives, to cause our lives to blossom and grow. All that was in Adam passed to us, as far as sin, it was all resolved in Christ. Sin is no longer the issue. You know, we covered this material in the class, but do you know in no place, in anywhere of these letters written to the church, do you find that we are called a sinner? You can't find it. You know why? It doesn't exist. That's why. We are called sinners before we believed on Jesus Christ. Right? Well, right? Before we believed on Jesus Christ, it says we were sinners in Romans 5. 5 8 to be specific. Now that we believed on Jesus Christ, we're called saints, holy ones, not associated with sin. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus. 
Look, if you could have one blemish held against you, one fault held to your name, guess what? Look at 1 John chapter 2. Look at this. If one blemish could be held against you in any possible way, saints, you couldn't be addressed as saints because you would no longer be holy. One blemish takes holiness into in, imperfection, makes it unholy, right? What about in the Old Testament, a sheep that was perfect? This little lamb was perfect to be a sacrifice, except that it was blind in one eye. You know what the law of Moses said? Not acceptable. One blemish, it's not acceptable to God. God had to make you acceptable to him. So he made you without blemish. Why did he do this? You are placed in Christ Jesus and now bear his name. If you have one thing held against you, his name is blemished. Look, look at verse 12 of 1 John 2. <laughs> Thanks for the privilege of sharing this stuff. This is just so, it's so big, it's going to take over the whole earth one day. Truth is going to take over the whole earth. And it's such a joy to share that point. Chapter 2 of 1 John, in verse 12, it says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you. For what purpose? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. So that his name is not blemished. If you're associated with Christ, and you have one blemish held against you, his name is blemished. Saints, that's impossible. His name cannot be blemished. He is pure from impurity. So any impurity that we could have possibly brought to that name of Jesus Christ was all forgiven us. Your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. God holds nothing against you. You are as pure as pure can be in God's sight. That's the way he views you. Because you are called a saint. You are called a saint. Yes. Yes. Oh, right, exactly. If you look at anybody's flesh, you're going to find imperfections. But look at them according to what's true in Christ. Faultless. Faultless. So how are you going to treat, treat somebody that's perfect? As if they're perfect. You hold nothing against them. You cast no blame their way. What deliverance the church has right in its lap. If we would just believe, by the way, this is the most basic truth of the new covenant. You are delivered from sins. There is, listen, married couples, fights do not exist in Christ. To have an argument in any way, a disagreement in any way, Christ has been abandoned for that to happen. You've got to let go of what's true in Christ. Because your spouse, that person sitting across the booth from you, anybody that you know in Christ, you can have no qualms with if you're thinking truth. Once you abandon the truth, once you leave the truth, that they're faultless, the ba most basic point of the new covenant, delivered from sins, right? Once you leave that truth, blame starts popping up all over the place and we know it too well. We don't even want to talk about that side of the story. We know it too well. But once you come to the reality that your, your sins are forgiven in Christ, so are theirs. Theirs meaning anybody in the body of Christ. Well, everybody in the body of Christ then all judgment's gone. That's why Paul says, 
Your judgment, and in 1 Corinthians 14, your judgment against me is useless. Because I don't even judge myself. Then he says, but I know that it's not by this that I'm acquitted. Because <laughs> I know my being acquitted is in Christ Jesus. He says, so I reserve all judgment for judgment. If there's any, any stones to be thrown, I'm saving them for, you know, judgment day. Because there's no room for judgment. That's all the Lord's business. Not ours. We've been delivered from it. So as we think in Christ, then we hold no judgment against anybody. You know, if I'm thinking in Christ, there's nothing you can do to get me to think evil of you. If I'm thinking in Christ. Now, some of you say, well, let me put you to the test then. <laughs> right? But, you know, really, if you are put to the test and you're thinking in Christ, there's nothing anybody can do to get you to fail the test. Because you're going to think of them in Christ no matter what. You're going to think of them that they are the way God made them, faultless no matter what. Listen, the most bottom line point of the new covenant is deliverance from sins. Jesus Christ said, this is the new covenant in my blood that they shall receive forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant, saints. That's what it's all about. You don't get it boiled down any more simple than this. Jesus Christ was introduced to Israel by John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Well, that's everybody else's, but you don't know my spouse. I don't have to know your spouse. God knows more about your spouse than you do, and he's not holding anything against them. What are we holding it against them for? <laughs> right? Or anybody else? See, God made this the most basic point, and honestly, saints, we've missed the most basic point. We still think according to what we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. We're still thinking according to the senses realm instead of according to truth. The truth tells us a different picture. It speaks of a whole new life. A whole new life that's designed to govern this physical life. A new life where you don't hold anything against anybody because you know that they've been delivered from sin. That will govern this life. That will cause your life to blossom and grow in ways that you and I haven't even begun to dream about. How can we say this? Look, look at Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, man, I just, you, don't even need, you can go there if you want. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able, able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He is able. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, if you think of a perfect marriage in your mind, what does that verse say regarding that? Whatever you think, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Whatever you think is a perfect marriage, whoa, blow it out of the water. God's, God's design is to make that much better than you ask or think. Not only better, it doesn't say above what you think. It doesn't say abundantly above what you think. It says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above. You getting the picture in your mind? <laughs> God is able to take whatever you're dealing with way beyond where you can even dream it to be. How? By his power that works in you. His power that works in you. In the context, saints, that power is the gospel message. It is called the power of God unto your wholeness. As you think according to what's true in Christ, it will cause your lives to blossom and grow abundantly above 
and even exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. This is the most underestimated message in the universe. Has to be. Because it will take somebody from the dregs to believing on Jesus Christ and into exceeding abundantly above all that they can ask or think. The most sold book in the world, from what I understood, I just heard another statistic on it just uh, in September. Still, the most sold book in the world and still so misunderstood. Many people are using this for a book of principles. Oh, what a slap in the father's face. How about a history book? It's a good one, just like it's a good book for principles. But what a slap in the father's face. That this would be used for anything other than to demonstrate his undying love in behalf of people who deserve the absolute worst but get his absolute best. If it is communicated in any other way than that, look, what, what did you do to deserve to get deliverance from sins? What did you do to earn to be faultless in God's sight? Absolutely nothing just like me. None of us earn it. That's the beauty of this thing. <laughs> How many of us raise children this way? You know, the, the six-year-old kid, you know, uh, takes your car keys and backs the car out and goes smashing through the, the house uh, across the street. He says, that's okay, son. Let's go get an ice cream cone. When would that happen? <laughs> Yet, what does the Father do for us? We're living contrary to him, and in many ways, even still, and what does he do? I'm giving you a whole farm. I love you so much, I'm blessing you with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Then you think things that aren't the truth yet. And what does he say? Oh, I love you with undying love. There's nothing you can do to get outside of my graces because I love you so much. He is so concerned about us that he set up this whole arrangement of the heavens and the earth in light of it. Then he mapped out the whole plan of eternity as far as time goes in light of what Christ would bring to mankind. And we have it in our laps. And so many don't even know that it's about that they are delivered from sin. People say, well, I've heard that message so many times, deliverance from sin. You know, get into something greater. Listen, listen to these words. You will never find a message greater than your deliverance from sin. It is impossible. Because it not, it not only life starts there, it has its fullness in deliverance from sin. Any aspect of life you have with the Father is because you're realizing deliverance from sin to whatever degree you are. You want to have a powerful prayer life? Realize that you're delivered from sin. Your prayers go from, Oh, Father, please, if you're having a good day and you will please turn in my favor today, please answer this prayer to, Father, I know you hear my prayers. Therefore, I know you've already covered this in your Son because what you say is true. And therefore, thank you. You're walking out as if it's in your hand and you don't even have it yet. But you know you do because your Father has given you all things in Christ Jesus. It's neat, isn't it? It's a whole different approach. Every aspect of life, the way God designed it, rests upon you are delivered from sin, is colored by that you are delivered from sin, has the goal of you realizing that you are delivered from sin. It begins there, it has its existence there, and it has its goal in your deliverance from sin. It's all there the whole package. Every Christian church, 
Every single one from the, that I know of, from the Catholic Church to the Baptist, the Methodist, whatever label man puts on. These are all man-made labels, by the way. God sees two groups, those that believe, those that don't. That's it. So every Christian church is essentially centered around the cross. Am I right or wrong? What do you see most prominently around Christians' necks? The cross. Hanging from rearview mirrors. The cross. How little we have understood the message of the cross. Look at, we're, oh, we jump from 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at this. 1 Corinthians, the power of this message of the cross. First, you've got to read this. Okay, let's look at the opening. You know, from here, once people start getting that this is what the message is all about, now you can just go through letter after letter of the New Testament and go, oh, that's what this is all about. It makes sense now. That's why we're made citizens of heaven, because everything that's wrong and contrary uh, about us to God has been eliminated. Of course we're citizens of heaven. Oh, we're called saints? Oh, yeah, we're holy ones. Why? Because everything unholy was moved, removed from us by Jesus Christ's work. This is the message. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, watch the way it starts. Verse 1, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. Called saints. We're called the church of God, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. Why? Because we believe on Jesus Christ. Remember? You believe on him, you receive life. In this realm of this new life, you are called the church of God, saints, and you are sanctified. Right out of that first verse, or second verse anyway. Then you get down, you're reading this, and you come down to verse 17, where the Apostle Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Why? Why to preach the gospel, saints? Why not build churches? Why not start cell groups? Why not get, you know, lists out of how people are supposed to read their Bible? Why not all these other things? Why is it the gospel? Well, let's keep reading. The rest of verse 17 addresses the problem because there were some who were coming up with real well carved out uh, sermons saying it's not about that. Watch, verse 17. Christ sent, did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would be made void of none effect. The cross of Christ be made of none effect. So what's he concerned with? Christ sent him to preach the gospel so that this cross of Christ would not be made void, don't cloak it with a nice, well-sounding, rhyming sermon, sounds real great and flowery, but it loses the power of the cross. Verse 18 tells you flat out, next verse, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of who? Whoa! Look what we've got here with this gospel message. It's the power of God to us who are being saved. Why does it say being saved? If that doesn't make sense to you, well, join the club. It didn't make sense to me for a long time either. Being saved? Either you are or you aren't, brother. Where are you at? Did you believe in him or did you not? That's not what this is talking about. There's a process. Saved, uh, uh, salvation is wholeness. As we're coming into this wholeness that's in Christ, for those who are, the gospel is the power of God. 
The question is, saints, are you coming into this wholeness, the salvation of the gospel? Are you coming into this, or as it says here, being saved? If you are, the last part of verse 18 is true of you, and you know it. If you don't know the power of the cross continuing to work in your life, it's because this process has been moved away from. Being saved, moving into the wholeness that's in Christ. Something has turned you or you never entered it in the first place. But if you have, those who are being saved, this message of the cross is the power of God. I don't know words that say it better than that. You just read it from these epistles and it says it. It is the power of God unto your and my wholeness. Well, I, I don't think I need wholeness. My life's pretty good. I mean, my daisies are blooming. You know, so is that this earthly life or is this this realm of life that's in Christ that's designed to govern your daisies? You think your daisies are blooming now? Wait till you see your blooming daisies walking in Christ. <laughs> this thing's bigger than this. You know, I can't even put this into words. We started a garden, my wife and I, years ago, and, and learning this gospel message, you know, we incorporated that into actually getting the garden ready, planting, and cultivating this garden. I had tomato plants that I kept, you know, uh, pruning and cutting up. These things kept growing and growing. We come back from this vacation, these things are seven feet tall. And they've got tomatoes everywhere. Somebody said, well, they're too big. They don't produce the tomatoes. You should have seen these plants. And uh, I don't know, nobody's here. When we moved, I needed help carrying the pumpkin. I couldn't carry this thing that grew from this pumpkin plant. It was so big. And we basically, it was left, you know, alone because we were on this vacation for about a week. You know, one of the neighbors came over and watered it midweek. And that was it. We come back and we've got this huge pumpkin. <laughs> it was just phenomenal. How could a garden flourish like that? Watch what happens in your life. See, life is invisible, but it's designed to come into manifestation. It's designed to manifest itself. Those who are being saved, they're in this process of the wholeness of Christ. You know, they're coming into this wholeness more and more. They're realizing who they are in Christ, what's true in Christ, and they're holding on to it, and they're growing the gospel, or the message of the cross, the gospel, is the power of God unto them. This word power means potential power. It's potential power. See, the potential power of the gospel is only potential. It's just sitting here. Like, you know, you get a, a degree to be, a, you know, a, a surgeon or something, okay? And all it is is a piece of paper, that piece of paper, that education, is designed to come into manifestation. Right? Same thing with the gospel message. It's not designed to sit dormant. That's why it's compared to seed. No seed is designed by God to sit there just as a seed. Every one of them has a potential for full life of that plant. So how about life in Christ? Saints, is this thing dormant? Or is it coming into its fullness in your life? How big will this go? This fullness of God is the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Look, look, let's close here. Look at Ephesians 3. Obviously, we can talk about this for days. It's, there's so much to cover. And, but it's all saying the same thing. This message, it's all saying the same thing. There's a prayer here 
that picks up in uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, starting in verse 14. The Apostle Paul again is writing here, he says, For this reason I bow my knees unto the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And then it goes on. If you uh, keep going here, you get to verse 19, verse 19, and it says, And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now this word you, as many of them are in these letters, is in the plural. That we all, that you would be filled up, filled up, filled up to all the fullness of God. Think of yourself with all the fullness of God. Saints, he created the heavens and the earth, did he not? He causes trees to grow. He's the one behind it all. That you, you and I would be under the fullness of God. If this is not true, right, then it's got to be cut out of the Bible. But if this is true and you know that it is, then we are designed by God to come into God's fullness. Nothing less. Nothing less. Everything that God, the way God would have it to be is what, the way he's setting it up in your life. He's already set it up in Christ. But he's bringing us into it. Those who are being saved, for us, the gospel is the power of God unto wholeness. You see this? So Jesus Christ, what did he actually come to bring us? Oh, a nice message that we can gather around on Sundays. No. He came to bring us eternity with all, with all of its fullness. Eternity, a new kind of life. This is what this message of the Bible is all about, right there. And with these verses, I know you're seeing it. You, with your Heavenly Father, sitting in that chair, see what this is all about. It's about a new life that came through Jesus Christ. And this is to take us, this message is to take us into all the fullness of God. These verses are not a lie. And you know they're not. God has taken you out of the power of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of His beloved Son where everything is provided for. Everything. The gospel message is designed to take us into this wholeness. Thank God that it is, huh? So, that's it. Do you guys have any questions or stuff you were thinking about? Along these lines or not? Yeah, Larry? Yeah, okay, that's a good question. So how, can, how do we come into this category then from 1 Corinthians 1, 17, 18 of being saved? Being saved so that we can see this potential power of the gospel come manifested in our life. Well, the first part of the verse gives the uh, first part of that section, the verse 17 into 18, gives the answer. Christ sent me, Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. The gospel truths cause a process of being saved. So as what, that's why we teach what we're teaching. That's why we talk about what we're talking about. Right? So talk about these gospel truths that develop or further develop a process of being saved. See, and that's why we keep coming back. 
Keep coming back to the truth. What keeps drawing us back? Because we know it's speaking of a realm that we're designed to be in. As we're thinking according to this realm of in Christ, as we're thinking that we are being saved. So the gospel message teaches us what this realm is all about. And as we hear these truths for the 157th time, we go, oh yeah, that's right. I am a child of God right now, not in the future, right now. As you're thinking that way, the potential power of the gospel is, again, doing a work, doing a work in you. And we know this. We know that's what keeps drawing us back. The Father designed that into his word. The intrinsic love of the Father in the, in the gospel message itself. It's just in there. So when you're hearing the message, it gives you that, like your home feeling. <laughs> that's why. Because it's the Father's heart being ministered to you as you're reading the message or hearing the message or whatever. So it's the message, the gospel, that causes this being saved. Either furthers it or brings us into it. So does that handle Larry? Cool. Anything else? It's pretty big. This thing is so big, we're, we're sitting on this. It's right in our midst. But if we really realize what we've got in Christ, life drastically changes. Like it has so much for so many already. It's going to continue on that being saved trail. So it's going to produce its wholeness in our lives in all these different categories. It's really wonderful. Well, can we pray? I'd like to pray. Well, I don't know why I'm asking. I'm not going to hear an argument from you, I'm sure. <laughs> right? Uh, Father, again, your heart is so big for your people. It's so big toward us. Father, help us gather in this greatness of this life that you have extended to us through your Son. Number one, that you communicated to us that this life actually exists. And then number two, Father, the great truths of it so that we can walk in it. Father, that realizing that it's believing that pleases you, we just want to know this message. We want to gather it in so that we can walk in it and bring pleasure to your heart, Father. You've done so much to pleasure ours. Thanks, Father, for helping us see the light, so to speak, Father, that we would see this gospel message bigger as these days get closer to your son's return. And I pray for your saints that are attending here, for each one of us, Father. And then again, for all of us throughout this body of Christ, all over the nations of the earth, that we can all come into, Father, together as one into this gospel message and think according to these realities that are true. And Father, because of that, see that oneness, that wholeness that's intrinsic in this gospel message. Thank you for helping us to realize it, Father, and of course that your message would continue to cause this growth of our lives into blossoming and growing into that fullness that you've designed. Thanks, Father, for the healing wholeness that's in Christ and it to be realized and manifested amongst your people more and more as these days move on. And I thank you and praise you for the system that you've set up that's flawless through that powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ.